Good Morning Nancy is a horror movie podcast, so it may not be for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Good morning, Nancy. My name is Gracie. And I'm Abby. And if you're new to the show, welcome. This is a special horror holiday episode for you all, and we are so glad that you could join us. Gracie and I have been friends since forever, and we love talking about our favorite horror movies together and with you. All while drinking a nice cup of coffee. Today we'll be discussing the 2015 holiday horror film Krampus. It was co-written and directed by Michael Dougherty from Trick or Treat fame, and it stars Adam Scott, Tony Collette, David Kochner, Allison Tolman, Conchata Farrell, and MJ Anthony. We are not shy about spoilers, so if you haven't seen this film, we highly suggest that you pause this episode and you watch it. Are you still here? Okay, then let's get this morning started. Okay, so writer-director Michael Dougherty is most known for his Halloween horror anthology film, Trick or Treat, like we mentioned earlier. Um, But listeners might not know that he also wrote the screenplays for X-Men 2. Oh. And X-Men Apocalypse, which I don't really like X-Men Apocalypse, but I like X-Men 2. Yeah. Wow, that's so cool. Yeah, it's kind of neat. So there's a little tidbit for you. So according to Don Kay... Doherty had always wanted to do a scary Christmas movie, but the idea did not take form until his friends sent him an e-card featuring the Krampus creature, which was, according to him, quote, just love at first sight, unquote. (laughs) Oh, we'd be friends. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Although this, according to Doherty, uh, happened in the ancient times of the internet, the project would not be fleshed out until 2011, at which point he would team up with Zach Shields and Todd Cassie to figure out the story. And they were the other gentlemen who wrote the film. Okay, so 95% of the film was done on sound stages. There is only one scene that was filmed on location, and that's the opening credit scene. It was filmed in a real department store in New Zealand. Oh my god, that's awesome. Yeah. Speaking of New Zealand, Weta Workshop, most known for doing the practical effects for the Lord of the Rings films, did the effects for Krampus as well. Okay, so according to Film School Rejects, quote, the visible breath in the cold exteriors was done digitally, but a major component of it involved filming real people in freezers reading dialogue for the scenes, and their breath was then isolated and added optically into the shots. So contrary to popular belief, Krampus is not rated R. It's a PG-13 horror movie. <laughs> so if anyone says PG-13 horror movies bad, just remind them of Krampus. It was almost a rated R film. Can you guess what scene almost made it rated R, Abby? Um, ooh, maybe the end when he gets, like, thrown in the fiery pit? Or does it have something to do with, like, the elves or something? No, it's the scene where Howie Jr. sips some of the spiked hot chocolate. <laughs> what? <laughs> yes. 
I'm over here like, there's a lot of gore and like violence in this movie for like a, a Christmas story, I guess, but God forbid. <laughs> so according to Box Office Mojo, Krampus grossed $42.7 million in the United States and Canada and $18.8 million in other territories for a worldwide total of $61.5 million against a budget of only $15 million. So it was a pretty big success. Dang, I guess so, man. Uh, It wasn't, however, that big of a success with critics and audiences. Many thought the film was lacking in its scares and it did not have the same bite that Joe Dante's Gremlins had back in the 80s. And, you know, it's been five years since its release and I think it's grown on people particularly horror fans who love and appreciate practical effects. Yes. Yeah, and according to Raffer Guzman for Newsday, quote, it's a pleasantly perverse idea with potential for grisly humor, cultural satire, and a kind of murderous fantasies that run through all of our heads when relatives overstay their welcome, (laughs) unquote. Yeah. (laughs) With that said, Abby, would you please remind us all of the plot? Sure. It's almost Christmas, and the wealthy Angle family is preparing for a tense family gathering at their home. The youngest Angle, Max, still firmly believes in Santa Claus and literally fights to keep the Christmas spirit alive. (laughs) Poor child. I know. Poor kid. Max's family, which consists of his mom, Sarah, and dad, Tom, his sister, Beth, Aunt Linda and Uncle Howard, their rowdy kids, Jordan, Stevie, Howard, and baby Chrissy, Sarah and Linda's cranky Aunt Dorothy, and Tom's mom, Omi, have a really hard time getting along as the first night wears on, and family dinner erupts in a brawl after Jordan and Stevie make fun of Max's belief in Santa Claus. They read his letter to Santa out loud at the dinner table, revealing his wish that his family could just get along and Christmas could be like it used to. Frustrated, he renounces his love for Christmas and flees the dinner table. His dad comforts him by saying that family is important, regardless of the chaos surrounding the holidays, and encourages Max to send his letter to Santa anyway. But Max, angry and hurt, tears up his letter and throws it out his bedroom window. Dooming everybody! (laughs) (laughs) The next morning, the family wakes up to a blizzard that causes the whole neighborhood to lose power. Beth, worried about her boyfriend down the street, ventures out to check on him, but she never makes it. She's captured by a demonic jack-in-the-box after being chased by a large, shadowy figure jumping from the rooftops. Which, that that sound editing (gasps) for that scene is so good. It's genius. (laughs) It gives me the freaking chills every time. I'm like, ooh, good. Watching this again, I was like, this is a... This is a big scene because of the sound editing. I was, like, really impressed with it. I know. It's incredible. Ugh. So, worried that they haven't heard from Beth, Tom and Howard venture out into the storm to find her, but are assailed by an unknown creature burrowed beneath the snow. They have no time to search for Beth throughout the seemingly abandoned and disheveled neighborhood houses because of the freezing temperatures. Oh, and Howard's Hummer is completely destroyed by whatever is lurking in the snowy darkness. They return to the house where the rest of the family waits and begin boarding up the windows to protect the family from whatever it may be. Later that night, the family hunkers down together in the living room, but hours after falling asleep and letting the fire die in the fireplace, Howard Jr. is lured to the chimney by a gingerbread man attached to a hook. 
the gingerbread man comes to life, wrapping him up in chains and dragging him up the chimney while his family tries desperately to save him. In the chaos, a log rolls out of the fireplace and sets the Christmas tree on fire. The family, doing their best to assess the situation, becomes aware that they're dealing with supernatural forces as the house is ambushed by more demonic toys, elves, gingerbread cookies, and Omi is the only one who has the answers. She explains that they're being hunted by Krampus, and it's because they've lost the Christmas spirit. She explains that when she was a little girl, she lost her family because they stopped believing in the magic. At first, the family is disbelieving of her claims, but after a giant clown-like toy swallows Jordan whole and the adults are almost killed by Krampus's fleet of toys, they understand that Omi is right and their only hope is to make a break for an abandoned snowplow across town. They never make it, though, as they're hunted one by one and taken to the underworld until the only one left is Max. Max confronts Krampus and his gaggle of grotesque holiday figures, begging him to let his family go and take him to the underworld instead. But Krampus is unforgiving and throws Max into the underworld with the rest of his family. Max wakes up the next morning. It appears the whole thing was just a nightmare. He goes downstairs to find his family gathered in the living room, ready to open presents. Everyone is fine and things seem to be normal until Max opens one of his gifts and discovers a Krampus bell. The family slowly realizes that it wasn't a nightmare, and they've been trapped inside a snow globe by Krampus, forced to live out their days, surrounded by other families trapped inside snow globes, and Krampus's lair. What a fucking nightmare. <laughs> Your least favorite relatives stuck in a goddamn snow globe. <laughs> forever <laughs> absolutely horrific that's the yeah. real horror of this no, story it's true like screw krampus i guess like oh also but, oh go ahead i just want to like i want to point out real quick mm -hmm. adam scott and tony colette weirdest couple i have ever seen in my life I, it's true yeah okay mm. well at least i'm not the only one who thinks that all right, well, let's talk about the Bechdel test. It passes, yes. actually passes a few times, especially between the two sisters. And then Nancy's dream team test. Let's see what this has to offer. Uh, was the supporting cast at least 50% women? Yes, we do have that much. Did a woman write, direct, producer, edit the film? No. Was the final girl or main character a person of color? No, every single person is white. Eek. Were there any openly LGBT plus characters in the film? Also a huge no. All right, so let's get into the origins of Krampus. Yes. So according to a National Geographic article by Tanya Basu, in Catholicism, St. Nicholas is the patron saint of children. His Saint's Day falls early in December, which helped strengthen his association with the Yuletide season. Many European cultures not only welcomed the kindly man as a figure of generosity and benevolence to reward the good, but they also feared his menacing counterparts, who punished the bad. Parts of Germany and Austria dread the beastly Krampus, while other Germanic regions have Belsnickel and Necht Ruprecht, black-bearded men who carry switches to beat children. France has Hans Trapp and Père Foutard. <laughs> Some of these helpers, such as Zwarte Pie in the Netherlands, have attracted recent controversy. 
Yeah, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of blackface. Oh, that's gross. Yeah, there's a oh. lot of blackface, and it still happens to this day. In, no, in Europe. yeah. Oh my god, the it's worst. Not okay. Yep. Yeah. No. Oh, Krampus's name is derived from the German word Krampen, meaning claw, and it's said to be the son of Hell in Norse mythology. The legendary beast also shares characteristics with other scary demonic creatures in Greek mythology, including including satyrs and fauns. The legend is part of a centuries-old Christmas tradition in Germany where Christmas celebrations begin in early December. Krampus was created as a counterpart to kindly Saint Nicholas, who rewarded children with sweets. Krampus, in contrast, would swat wicked children, stuff them in a sack, and take them away to his lair. Uh, According to folklore, Krampus purportedly shows up in towns the night of December 5th, known as Krampusnacht, or Krampus Night. The next day, December 6th, is Nicholastag, or St. Nicholas Day, when children look outside their door to see if the shoe or boot they'd left out the night before contains either presents, a reward for good behavior, or a rod for bad behavior. A more modern take on the tradition in Austria, Germany, Hungary, Slovenia, and the Czech Republic involves drunken men dressed as devils who take over the streets for a Krampuslauf, a Krampus run of sorts, when people are chased through the streets by the devils. Oh, dear. So, pretty exciting stuff. Um, it's basically like Santa run in the United States. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Or Only way cooler. Yeah, drunken people <laughs> dress up as Santa and go to bars and stuff, yeah. Yeah. Um, I Like, when I was a German student, one of my favorite things to learn about German culture were the Christmas traditions, because it was always, like, such a fun time and stuff in our classes. And the highlight for me was Krampus. Yeah. And the first time I saw a depiction of Krampus, I was in eighth grade German class. Shout out to my teacher, Frau Goebel, for introducing me to one of my favorite legends. Nice. Yeah. It was such uh, a different concept. Like, being scared on Christmas was so foreign to me. Mm. But because we don't have things like that in American mainstream culture, really, like, I was super drawn to it. Um, There has to be a balance, right? Like... Coal in your stocking is pretty bland compared to what happens when Krampus catches you. So I think from that point on, I really didn't think of Christmas in, like, the Christian way that I was raised to believe. Like, I realized that there were so many kind of pagan traditions that are taken and appropriated by Christians and, like, the rest of the dark stuff gets tossed to the wayside. So... For me, being of German descent, this was a great way to learn about my roots and, like, really dig into how culture is taken away and reshaped. And it was all because of Krampus. Like, not only that, I reached an age when the disenchantment with the holidays was starting. Like, Max, like, for him, how the holidays became a really stressful time. Um, it, It also became stressful, like, with my family and there was all this weird tension So learning about the mythos of Krampus was like a new way for me to look at Christmas and like look at the celebrations and to kind of learn to be grateful and appreciative, yes, but also to connect to that part of my shadow self Mm -hmm. that said like, it's okay to like dark things and it can play a big part in your celebrations. Yeah. And we're going to talk more about the shadow self later. (laughs) Oh, 
yeah. And uh, Krampus is frightening and for the most part, like, pretty violent. Yeah. But, but, like, it's also kind of a humorous way to look at that weird side of Christmas that no one wants to address. Like, the stress and the discomfort of visiting relatives that you don't really vibe with and, like, feeling like an outsider as you transition from youth to adulthood. It kind of adds a little bit of different magic, I think. And that's, like, I think why it really resonated with me when I was a teen and up into my adult years. That's a really great insight, Abby. Thank you for sharing that with us. Oh, yeah. I actually didn't realize Krampus was a thing probably until I saw The Office and Dwight dressed up as Belschnickel. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> You're like mm, Googling right now. Yeah, Thank you. Yeah, I think that was probably when I first heard of Krampus. I don't know how old I was. So let's discuss Krampus and Christmas films that are horror films in general. According to Richard Newby in their article, The Strange Appeal of Christmas Horror, quote, the genre isn't for everyone, but it can be a means to conquer and control some of the less delightful aspects of the holidays. There's just something appealing about the taboo nature of blending unsavory elements with what is, for many, the second best holiday after Halloween, unquote. Mm-hmm. Newby continues and says, quote, ghost stories were considered an English Christmas tradition, a means to recognize winter as a season of death and decay, along with the new life promised by Christmas and the birth of Christ. From Shakespeare's play, The Winter's Tale, which was published in 1623, and Andy Williams' classic song, It's the Most Wonderful Time of the Year in 1963, <laughs> ghost stories are referenced as being a welcomed seasonal tradition, unquote. So that's sort of the short history of spooky stories around Christmas time. And Newbie goes on to explain why it has lasted or really why it was reborn in a modern age. And they say, quote, Looking at the advent of Christmas horror, one that ran parallel to the increase in shopping centers and consumerism, perhaps it's that feeling of Christmas glee or is it greed, that possesses so many of us that created such an avenue for horror. It's no secret that Christmas isn't the happiest time of year for everyone. Beneath the tinsel and evergreen smell are the very real epidemics of homelessness, loneliness, and increased robberies and suicides. Not to bum anyone out, but Christmas can drive us a little mad. Perhaps our Christmas horror movies pass. Perhaps our Christmas... Horror movies past are a reflection of that, a means to conquer and control some of the less delightful aspects that seep into the holiday. But there's also the fact that Christmas horror movies tend to be fun, a sublime batter of pleasure and pain. We watch Christmas horror movies to be scared occasionally, but more often than not, we watch them because they're pleasurable, at least more so than anything airing on the Hallmark Channel. Unquote. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about why Krampus, right? Well, according to Paul Krupp for the book Yuletide Terror in their chapter called Horns for the Holidays, the Krampus Conquers North American Horror Film, quote, 
Despite their popularity, some protesters and parents took issue with the way films like Silent Night, Deadly Night, and Scent subverted the popular myth of Santa, a character most meaningful to children. This opposition is surely one reason that the Krampus have been quickly adopted by horror filmmakers liking to make a creepy Christmas classic, since it allows them to place the essential characteristics of the slasher Santa into an existing pre-Christian character that already embodies a dark side of Christmas. Okay, so that's one reason why Krampus is a big deal for holiday horror. But why now in America? According to Michelle Mills, actor Rick Gallagher, who plays St. Nicholas every year in a Los Angeles Krampus play, believes the Krampus tradition is becoming popular in America because it provides an opportunity for people to extend Halloween and dressing up. In Becky Little's essay for National Geographic entitled How Krampus the Christmas Devil Became Cool, they say... Why all the sudden why all the sudden attention in a country where he's never been widely recognized? Art director, graphic designer and big man of Krampus Monte Bucamp and big man of on Krampus Monte Bucamp says that he deserves a lot of the credit. After a collector introduced him to Krampus postcards from the 19th and 20th centuries, Bucamp published some in two issues of his magazine Blab. Exclamation point. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> and followed that with two books of Krampus cards in 2004 and in 2010. Around the same time, Bukamp's friend organized a theatrical Krampus club in L.A. From there, quote, it just kind of started snowballing, he says. Little goes on to say, as celebrations of Christmas change, it's not hard to imagine a day when Krampus will be too trendly, trendy and widely accepted to interest the cool crowd. After all, if he's got his own movie... He may have already peaked, unquote. And according to the essay, He Sees You When You're Sleeping, The Psychology of Christmas Horror Films, quote, That's a really creepy title. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Quote, Fear triggers your innate human survival instinct, whereas Christmas time is associated with happiness, goodwill, excitement, gifts, and a general warmth that tends to need light to be witnessed and displayed. That's why it is so incongruous to us and our innate selves to have something horrific happen in the holiday season. When we see the darkness of a horror film, we know what to expect. But when we see the twinkling lights of a tree added to this, our minds are tricked. Nothing bad could possibly happen over Christmas, could it? We expect to be murdered when we enter a haunted house or when we call into a cabin in the middle of nowhere and use the phone, but don't. But we don't expect murder to happen under the watchful eye of the angel atop of a Christmas tree, unquote. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah, so that's sort of why, like, Christmas horror and Krampus work. It's scarier to have horror happen over Christmas because you don't expect it. Yes. And Krampus is a great way to have that horror and still not, you know, make Santa Claus this evil, you know, being. Yeah. You know, and we'll talk more about that in a minute. But speaking of psychology, Abby, why don't you talk about our final thought, the psychology of Krampus? Yeah. According to the article, Viewing Krampus Through a Psychiatrist's Lens by Anthony Tobia, MD, Omi's message to Max is intended to change his behavior. As such, she employs basic principles of operant conditioning 
By ripping up his letter to Santa, Max demonstrates that he's no longer amenable to learning by positive reinforcement. Santa Claus brings positive gifts, rewards, to children who are being good, and re that results in strengthening or reinforcement of the good behavior, being good for goodness sake. As Omi realizes that Max is no longer responding to positive reinforcement, she attempts to teach him through positive punishment by telling him about the legend of Krampus, who chases and hits children with a stick. Um, and this is considered positive. And when they misbehave, uh, example, tearing up letters to Santa, therefore weakening or punishing undesirable behaviors such as crying or pouting. Of note, the descriptors positive and negative describe whether something is added or subtracted, respectively. So, <laughs> that theory is kind of confusing to understand at first. But, positive, negative reinforcement and punishment is used by parents all the time to keep their kids in line. And you might not even notice that you're doing it either when you do it. It's just so common. But what's what's like an example? So if uh, we look back at what Anthony Tobias said, um, when he talks about like Santa Claus bringing gifts and rewards to children who are being good and that results in like the strengthening of the good behavior, that would be a positive reinforcement. So it's like if your kid cleans their room and you give them a cookie because they clean their room, that's positive reinforcement. Yes. And yes. if your kid is being bad, so you ground them and make them sit in a corner, that's also positive reinforcement? Um, Because it's enforcing them to be good? Kind of. Maybe? Yes. I, yeah, it is. I'll let you explain yeah, <laughs> more. No, of course. No it. worries. Um, It's kind of like, too, when they talk about um how Omi tells Max the story about... Krampus because mm -hmm. Max like won't listen to any other like positive so, reinforcement. Oh, so or, positive like, reinforcement isn't working, so they use negative reinforcement. Yes. Gotcha. Okay. okay. Yes. 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 So, um, the really interesting thing about the tale of Krampus is that it's part of traditional storytelling with a moral, kind of like Aesop's fables. Mm -hmm. It's meant to teach naughty kids a lesson. So basically what Omi was trying to do with Max with like <laughs> the like positive punishment part that they talk about. Um, obviously in this film, it's a lot more grotesque. <laughs> like a lot more. But I mean, it's a common theme in fairy tales. Like if you look back through... Um, like the grim fairy tales and stuff like that. There's usually some kind of moral within the story. Um, and I think that storytelling is a really fantastic way to get kids to lend an ear and look at their wrongdoings from a different perspective. And it's an ancient way of practicing child psychology, like hmm. using positive punishment to teach children a lesson about minding their manners and listening to their parents instead of using like obviously like <laughs> physical abuse or spanking and that kind of thing yeah which is no good yeah this is actually in my opinion a more positive way to go about parenting and like the whole like positive and negative reinforcement thing so mm. aside from this krampus almost becomes a part of a child's psyche 
Like, they may grow up and learn that spirits like Krampus are not real, but the fear of what might happen if they step out of line really becomes a part of their identity. Hmm. So while it may give parents a break from having to reprimand their kids, that fear becomes an innate part of the child's behavior. And every kid is different, obviously, so they'll all react differently to these tales. But just like Omi in the film, that sense of foreboding never really goes away. No, like she is still traumatized by her parents being dragged to hell. Yeah. (laughs) Which I I don't blame her, but you know. (laughs) Yeah, right? Like it's always lurking around the corner, which blends well into another piece of Krampus psychology, using myth to tell stories about past trauma. Mm. So... Trauma is universal. I think we all can agree. Um, Different degrees and different levels exist, but we all experience it in some way. And for me, in the way that I interpret some parts of this film, Krampus is a representation of trauma. He Hmm. symbolizes like hard times and famine, exhaustion, cold, feelings of loneliness and isolation, and not to mention the enslavement and torture of children. (laughs) which i mean yeah i mean it's yeah when i see the flashbacks of omi in this film my mind kind of immediately goes to like world war ii as i'm sure it did for a lot of other people when they watched the film and i mean it's not hard to go to this place given the history of like germany and eastern europe and the dark past that should never be forgotten And in a way, Krampus becomes this embodiment of pure evil and the fear that swept over these nations as, like, the Holocaust took place. And a lot of people lost hope and gave up on the idea that humanity is good. And so Krampus comes along and reinforces the notion that humans need to be punished for their sins. But, I mean, this isn't new. Like, Krampus has been around for centuries, but makes a big comeback in times of turmoil Maybe as an escape or, like, explanation for the things that are too difficult for our mind to bear. So, Omi grows up and carries those traditions and those stories with her to America, where life is so vastly different and there are plenty of opportunities and food and jobs and freedoms and, I should point out, if you're, like, white. Right. Which she is, so. But all the while... Krampus is in the background, and she's carrying this PTSD from the experience of losing her family. And her fears become this great monstrous thing, and the sins of the past come back to haunt her family. Or could it be that those feelings were passed down generationally, epigenetically, to Max, who copes with these outside stressors the same way that his Omi did? Maybe this is a great example of how trauma is handed down through the generations. Wow. You know, inherited and universal trauma is so interesting to me. And I I didn't know about it until you mentioned it for the first time on the show a few years ago. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I noticed something else about this film that reminded me of psychology and the the shadow self, Mm -hmm. um, which we bring up often on the show. Um. Omi refers to Krampus as Saint Nick or Santa's shadow. Mm-hmm. And just a quick refresher, the shadow self is a Jungian concept that every individual has a darker side to them that we are either in touch with or disconnected from. And being in touch with your shadow self doesn't mean that you are a bad person. It just means that you understand that you are not pure good, basically. Am I 
Am I on the right track, Abby? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I mean, everybody has a shadow self. Everybody has, um, I hate calling them like guilty pleasures because there's no such thing. There's just pleasures. Right. But right. like people feel like they have that like forbidden side of themselves that they're out of touch with or, you know. Right. For example, like I think ours would probably be that we love horror so much. Horror movies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like horror and true crime and stuff right. like that. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, so everyone has a shadow self, including Santa, because <laughs> Krampus is Saint Nick's shadow self, I think. Mm-hmm. And I think this is interesting on so many levels, especially since Krampus in this film wears a human mask of Santa. Yeah, yeah. Yes, it's creepy, but it makes so much sense if you look at Krampus as the shadow self, like, mm-hmm. because essentially Krampus is Santa. He's just the darker side of Santa. Yeah. So, okay. So you got into the very detailed history of Krampus, but I actually found another resource that I had never heard before. So I hope it's true. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So if we go further back, Santa, the very first incarnation of Santa was that he was the Norse god Odin. Wow. And I found this great video essay by a guy who goes by Meme Analysis. And in this video, they talk about the origins of Santa. And according to them, the gods all had like human forms that they would like take when they went to Earth. And Odin's was that of an elderly man with a long white beard. Huh. And so he would like... In Norse Norse mythology, he would, like, bring gifts to children. But then if children were bad, Odin would then whip the bad children. Oh. So he did both. Santa, Odin, was, like, morally ambiguous. He was a morally ambiguous god. But then the Christians came over, and they made their way to Europe, and they took this version of Santa, and they split it in two, and they made Saint Nick... And they made Belschnickel, a.k.a. Krampus. In Christianity, there's no ambiguity. You're either good, a saint, or you're bad, a devil. That's why they took, like, because obviously, like, when Christians were trying to convert pagans, they tried to take their beliefs and they tried to kind of mold them and make them Christian. Mm -hmm. And that's how they Christianized Santa Claus was that he was pure good, he was not morally ambiguous, he was pure good, and then he had a darker side that was pure evil, that was disconnected from him. So they basically took Santa's shadow self and disconnected it from him. Yeah, and it's important to remember that Santa and Krampus aren't necessarily separate beings even today, because Krampus is a servant of Santa. Like, that's why he wears chains because he's and he's like because his chains are actually connected to Santa Claus. So like when they were Christianized and he was Saint Nick and there was Krampus, they would go, quote unquote, to children's doors and stuff. And you see pictures. You'll see like in these old drawings that Krampus's chains are connected to Santa. So Santa holds Krampus by a chain. That's so wild to me like that kind of weird cognitive dissonance that like people have about that kind of stuff like I think that's why so many people have so many issues dealing with 
the darker parts of themselves because it's like they aren't two separate entities they they are the same thing like you are the same thing i think it's interesting that christianity c- cannot fathom you being human that you have like that that having a darker side or having a ambiguity to your morals makes you just bad you cannot be yeah. both you yeah. have to be separate and you're either saint nick which nick I think is like a word for devil, like Belschnickel, right? There's Nick in that in that title. So Nick also, I think, has this is this term that connects to a demon or devil, which is interesting. But so you have the Saint Nick, the Saint Devil, mm-hmm. and then you have Krampus, the Claw, or Belschnickel, you know, the other devil. But this devil is pure evil. But this devil still works for the good person. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's yeah, uh, it's, it's almost it's hypocritical. Weird. It's weird how that works, right? Mm-hmm. How the evil people still work for the quote-unquote good people. <laughs> right, right. So really, Krampus, yeah, is punishing this family in this movie, but if you really think about it, Santa sent him. I mean... Because cause Max tore up the letter. And Santa sent Krampus, who wears a Santa mask, and he terrorizes this family. I mean, it's so... I, I Like I said, like I'm so... like I, I love this idea of Krampus wearing this grotesque human mask of Santa Claus. Yeah, same. Because this, to me, connects all of this like there's another krampus movie called uh i think it's called a, a christmas horror story yeah and, like yep. santa and krampus like duke it out like they have this big fight <laughs> it's so cheesy yeah um and you see krampus's face you know so he's not really scary mm-hmm. and then he, he and santa are kind of like i said they duke it out like they are at odds and they're enemies basically where this film sort of makes Krampus and Santa like how we were talking about uh they make them the same person or they make them like people like two entities that work together yeah and basically uh you know Krampus just does the dirty deeds that Santa a good saintly Santa cannot be shown doing which then connects, goes all the way to what we were talking about earlier. Goes all the way to the top. It goes all the way back to how we cannot show Santa in Christmas horror movies being bad because it's Santa. Yeah. But if we show Krampus, then Santa's purity is still intact. I mean, honestly, Krampus just gets a bad rap. You know, he's just like doing his job. Especially if Krampus doing it well. t- literally is also Santa. It's like... <laughs> No, wait I know. a minute. <laughs> I know. Poor yeah. Krampus. Like, oh. he just, he's out here having a rough time. He's like, I just want to send your soul to hell. Is that too yeah, much I know. to ask? Just, can you please not struggle anymore? I'm tired. I want to go home. I'm imagining this Krampus sitting on like a lazy boy couch or a lazy boy <laughs> chair with a beer. <laughs> like moccasin slipper. Uses his claw to like open the beer. Psst, and then like... <laughs> Puts on It's a Wonderful Life. Ah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, I love this movie. <laughs> oh, this movie makes me tear up every time. <laughs> and like a single tear droops down the grotesque Santa mask. He gets Always. his wings. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, oh well, 
that's it for this week's episode of Good Morning, Nancy. Let's talk about the good things that have been happening. I will start. Yes. My son is walking. <gasps> I can't believe it. I can't either, especially since he's not even 10 months old. <laughs> it's freaking wild. It's been a wild ride watching that kid grow. Man. I can't believe it. My sister was like, wait, he's not five years old yet? <laughs> oh my <laughs> like, god, I know. No, nope, 2020 feels like it's been five years, but it hasn't. Yeah, no, honestly. But he is growing very fast, physically and developmentally. He's like it over the 95 percentile in like everything, including Jeez. development. Yeah, like I think kids normally don't walk till like 13 months. Yeah. And like I said, he's he's just about to turn 10 months and he's already walk. He walks across the room. He's just got to go, you know? He's, he's I got to go. He's on the move. <laughs> he's like, I'm done. I'm moving out. I'm going to college. I'm getting yeah. a job. Yeah, bye. <laughs> this is boring. <laughs> and of course, I'm like, I don't blame you. Being stuck in this house all day, I don't blame you. Yeah, I know. Just be careful out there, little buddy. <laughs> so, Abby, what's going on with you? I'm pregnant. <laughs> Yay! Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so um, we're very excited. Uh, my due date is June 28th, so Ooh. we're adding another little ghoul to Good Morning Nancy. Yay! So I, we're very, very excited. So that's been uh, a really fun way to wrap up this shitstorm of a year. <laughs> so next year is going to be a different kind of shitstorm. <laughs> but, Abby, the love that you will feel transcends space and time oh i believe it already i'm like it's just a little bean inside of me but i'm like oh yeah no it's true just crying all the time it's amazing like you think that you i mean everyone is different but for me it was like you think you know love and then you hold your your child and you just (gasps) you it's different it's a different love it's amazing (laughs) cry oh god i don't mean to but it's true you do it's different so i'm so excited for you yes it'll be quite the journey so um i'm sure you'll all hear about my developing fetus as the show goes on (laughs) (laughs) yeah All right. Well, thank you all so much for listening to this very special Christmas episode. Uh, Just an update on our Patreon. If you're a new patron, we won't be sending out any gifts until this whole COVID-19 crap blows over, at least for the most part. Vaccines are on their way. Yes. Thank God. Can't wait. So patrons, please hang tight. I'll make sure to send you your gifts soon. However, you can also help support the show by checking out our merch shop. We've got coffee mugs, sweatshirts, t-shirts, and more. Head on over to goodmorningnancy.com slash merch and click the shirt icon, and that will take you to our shop. Oh, and please consider donating what you can to the Black Lives Matter movement, as well as to Trans Lifeline. Links are in the show notes of this episode. Yeah, we know times are tough right now, so a free way to help the show is by following us on social media. Facebook at Good Morning Nancy, Twitter at Good Morning Nan, and Instagram at Good Morning Nancy Podcast. Don't forget to also tell a friend and spread the word about our show. We have one more episode next week for New Year's, and then we'll be back mid-January 2021 with Season 9? 10? Season 9. Wow. Oh my gosh. Holy Holy crap. Holy cats. Yeah. (laughs) Ah. Okay, well, we love you all to death. Have a good morning. Bye.